0: Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, the podcast that brings together business leaders, entrepreneurs and experts covering a range of topics. I'm Nicholas Barton, founder and CEO of the Barton Partnership. We're an award-winning executive recruitment and consulting solutions firm providing permanent search and independent consulting services across strategy, sustainability and M&A, data and analytics and transformation and change. Hi everyone and welcome to the Barton Partnership's Spotlight On podcast series. I'm Matt Capon and I lead our financial services permanent search practice within Transformation and Change. I'm delighted to be joined today by Simon Puckering. Simon is Integration Director for HSBC Life in Singapore. He has built a highly successful international career with HSBC, designing and implementing organizational strategies and delivering complex change initiatives across the UK, Europe, Middle East and Asia. Simon, great to have you with us today. To kick things off, can I ask you to start by sharing a brief overview of your career journey today?
1: Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I grew grew up in Hull in Yorkshire. Love playing sport, anything involving a ball, tennis, cricket, football, rugby, anything that involved running around outside, really. I ended up playing rugby to a relatively high level when I was a kid and ended up moving to Bath uh, University to play rugby predominantly, but also to get an education while I was at it. And the university there had a tie up with HSBC for industrial placements, which I was successful in in applying for. And I suppose the rest is history. I've been at HSBC for 15 years now, working across Asia, Middle East, and Europe, as well as the UK, predominantly focused on retail banking, wealth management, and insurance. So it's crazy how life works out that thinking, you know, going to Bath would end up in that type of career journey. But I've just tried to seize the opportunities as and when they've come along, perform well in the roles I've been doing, and opportunities present themselves. After doing the graduate scheme with HSBC, which I did when I left university, I applied to be an international manager with the group. They're like the internal management consultants for HSBC, so they get pointed at different things around the world and and different postings to go and do interesting stuff, which was a pretty cool proposition for someone in their mid-20s who could turn their hands to most things and like travel. After leaving Yorkshire, I'd done a bit of traveling by that stage. I played with being in Sydney for nine months after university and before joining the grad scheme. I'd done a foreign exchange in the U.S. for a semester while I was at uni, and I would spent six months in India as part of the grad scheme with HSBC. So I was quite well-versed in inter- international travel and the challenges that presented, and I wanted to carry on with that. However, my first international, formal international posting with the bank wasn't quite as far as I'd hoped, moving me down two floors from level 33 to level 31 in our Canary Wharf head office building. So, but despite that, after spending a couple of years doing an international posting in my home city, I uh, moved to the Middle East in Oman in 2012 after the bank had uh, bought Oman International Bank to work on the integration. And my memory from that time for the couple of years we spent in Oman was one hard work, um, absolutely learned work ethic throughout that posting. So that was long hours, hard work, putting together two organizations with very different processes, cultures, and technology is uh, is, is hard, but very, very rewarding once you uh, complete it. And then the second one is the country that is absolutely fabulous. And it's Oman somewhere I'd encourage anybody to go as an off the beaten track place to go and live from Oman we moved to Hong Kong which is HSBC's cultural center as the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation and spent seven years there across uh, various roles in its insurance retail banking and wealth divisions in both frontline and back office roles with a heavy accent on transformation where there's cultural change going on I've been pointed at it during my time in Hong Kong and then my last two roles have, again, been in major transformation initiatives. Firstly, as the COO of our new financial planning business in China, and currently as integration director of the of the AXA business here in Singapore. So in the China role, I was responsible for the end-to-end build out of a digital in-person uh, hybrid financial planning proposition which aim to bring HSBC's wealth products to the mass mass affluent clients in China using data and analytics led solutions. It's a pretty cool proposition, which we considered market leading at the time and is fully embedded into the WeChat ecosystem with DIY and advise journeys and financial planners available at a time and a place in clients choosing. So we, we were the first ones to be really mixing the digital and in-person journeys, leveraging data and our analytics ecosystem throughout the full customer lifecycle. So it's, it's innovative and it's a, a really cool proposition which continues to thrive. In my current role, I'm, I'm leading the, uh, the integration of AXA and HSBC following the acquisition by HSBC Life last year. It's a real game changer for us in Singapore, doubling our market share and bringing an agency and employee benefits business into play. The integration has been really exciting, leveraging the strengths of of both companies. So opening up HSBC's banking and wealth management capabilities through AXA's digital and data capabilities. So it's a marriage that where both parties really brought something to the table. And leading that transition has been fantastic to set the company up on a growth trajectory over the next three to five years. We completed our scheme of transfer last month, which for insurance companies is the official completion of the merger process. So again, my second merger and uh, just as enjoyable as as the Oman one earlier in my career.
0: Fantastic. And that brings me on nicely to my next question. So in your current role as as Integration Director at HSBC Life, you lead the technology, operations, organisational and cultural change initiatives to deliver value to customers and shareholders. Can you talk about how your priorities have shifted post-COVID?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Thanks, Matt. And I think the pandemic really accelerated the shift to digital. Digital engagement with customers. You know, when you think about, yeah, everyone literally globally went through this. When you think about your lives and financial services needs, from everyday banking to investments to insurance claims and and the like, suddenly the restrictions of movement and an inability to travel meant all of that had to be digital. You know, immediately. So it was a real catalyst to to accelerating that digital change it, what's going on you know I, I ran a branch in the early 2000s and i remember one of my kpis was to sign people up for for internet banking so you know the, the move to digital has been happening over a number of years but it, it turned from what was quite a slow burn into into something that was immediate and urgent And then firms that had not invested in the underlying architecture to facilitate those journeys were really, really left behind. You know, now, for example, you know, post-pandemic, if you can't connect with your clients at the time and place of their choosing using the channel that they want, then you're really left behind because there are a number of banks out there, you know, and HSBC is one of those, that have been investing in their underlying technology over a number of years that meant the shift was already well underway and they could leverage that existing architecture when it was required during the pandemic. So yeah, I would see that the pandemic is, is really accelerating an existing trend there. In my current role leading a merger throughout covid was challenging to say the least. During a merger cultural integration is a key aspect of the work you're trying to achieve. It's you know seen by most firms as as the key element to to a successful merger. And obviously during COVID, you can't do that. We couldn't meet face-to-face. So we over-indexed on communication via virtual town halls, newsletters, webcasts, and videos, along with Uh, Many, many miles of outdoor working walks, which were permitted in Singapore at the time in smaller groups, up to five walking outdoors to chew over interesting matters and get to know our peers a little bit better. So I think we did a a great job. Uh, We worked around it as best we could. But relaxing of the restrictions has really helped to accelerate the transition, particularly from a cultural perspective
0: right and looking forward how, how do you see the banking industry evolving in the next five years in terms of digital innovation and what impact will this have on the industry as a whole
1: yeah I, I think it's really what we've been saying I think the shift to digital and agile engagement with customers is is irreversible I think that 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 trend that train has left the station I think industry lines will continue to Blur in terms of access to financial services. That's embedded finance within customer journeys. So, you, you know, you won't always be logging onto your banking app to do the to do your banking. The the banking will come to you, and you can see that via social media, via via many other routes. That banking is becoming embedded in customers' lives. Rather than in the traditional sense, buy now, pay later is a great example of that, um, and that'll only continue to grow. There's a stat on this, interestingly. McKinsey did a study a couple of months ago saying, in a couple of years' time, so by by 2025, three quarters of all banking transactions will be digital. So you know, if you compare that back to your previous question pre-pandemic, that's a material shift towards digital, and and, and again to my. Previous answer. I think that means that banks that are investing heavily in digital innovation, including you know the likes of mobile apps, chatbots, the use of AI, big data, will offer customers a seamless and personalised experience. And those that don't continue to be left behind.
0: And could you tell me how how has HSBC been able to maintain a high level of security for its digital banking services, and what measures has the bank put in place to guarantee customer trust?
1: Yeah, well, firstly, it's absolutely the right question. trust is the foundation of any good relationship, and particularly when you're dealing with people's finances. You know, customers trust banks with their money, and it's a responsibility that that they need to take and and do take very, very seriously. So this is an absolutely key topic. I suppose at HSBC, we've been able to maintain a high level of security uh, through a number of measures. So, for example, we use encryption technology to protect customer data and prevent unauthorized access. And believe it or not, I've spent quite a bit of time with our technology teams on this particular aspect. And, you know, it can leave you in no doubt that it's very sophisticated, but simply put, they use an algorithm to scramble plain text into gibberish or cipher text that can only be unscrambled by its intended recipient. So the encryption is tremendously sophisticated and it's something that we continue to invest in. The other key bit is uh, fraud prevention technology. So we use machine learning algorithms to detect suspicious activity and alert bank staff on potential fraud attempts. So there are these um, algorithms running over the transactions of all of our customers all of the time to try and prevent fraudulent uh, measures. The other one from a trust point of view is less of a technical point, but it's more to ensure that we're using the customer's data in the way that it was provided to us and for the purpose that it was provided. So there's an enormous responsibility there to make sure that we only use customers' data in a clear and transparent manner and a manner that they have authorised. However, there is an interesting point that the weakest link in any control regime, particularly relating to cybersecurity, is human, is people so you can have the best cryptography you can have the best algorithms you can have the best systems but 95% of cybersecurity breaches result from human error these can in- include downloading infectious software from by clicking a link maintaining a weak password or you know not updating your software on your computer so it's human error that in the vast majority of cases uh, results in cyber issues so that's a, a key thing and the control to, to prevent that is awareness and testing of those controls so we run and again this is very interesting we run fake phishing campaigns so you know that send links to staff and to see how many staff actually click the link you know to and then train them that this was a malicious link it was a fake it was a test from the from HSBC but you don't click those links and this is why an analysis of which scams work best is actually quite revealing about the different cultures' propensity to click the links. Usually, free offer or a discount on something will usually result in a higher click rate.
0: Did you discuss how HSBC has has leveraged blockchain technology to improve customer service and sustainability?
1: Yeah, sure. I suppose, first, before going into the the use cases for HSBC, I think it's important to briefly describe blockchain um, in in easy-to-use terms so that we can Then talk about how it's used. So, blockchains are a bit of jargon a decentralized ledger or a collection of records, each linked to each other in a sequence that can't be altered and is protected using strong cryptography or or, or encryption. So, imagine a chain of transactions, each of which have a hash or an indelible watermark on them. So you can't go back and change an earlier transaction since it w- wouldn't validate against the later transactions in the chain. So it's a, a digital, very secure and efficient transaction method. That's essentially what blockchain is. In the same way it can be used for some cryptocurrencies, which is obviously the, the most famous use case. It also has pretty wide applicability in any area requiring authentication of a transaction chain. So HSBC's leveraged blockchain technology in a number of areas to to improve customer service and, and sustainability, actually. So one example is HSBC's use of blockchain for trade finance. We developed a platform called Voltron, which enables multiple parties involved in a trade finance transaction to share data and documents securely and in real time. This has really streamlined the trade finance process, um, obviously digitizing it, reducing paperwork and processing times and improving transparency because the customers can see the transaction as it progresses along the chain. A a sustainable benefit uh, we used in 2018, actually some time ago now, we worked with a Dutch bank ING and Shell to complete the world's first blockchain-based trade finance deal for a shipment of oil. The transaction was certified, actually, by the Roundtable of Sustainable Biomaterials, demonstrating how blockchain can be used to support sustainable supply chains.
0: And what are some of the ethical considerations that banks need to keep in mind when using data analytics, AI, machine learning models?
1: Yeah, again, a a really good question. Thanks, Matt. The the machines making decisions rather than humans will always sort of grate a little bit. It'll, it'll always involve risks uh, that they do not act in a, a human or ethical manner, because ultimately the machine will do what it's programmed to do. So this needs to be the, at the forefront of our thinking when we're developing any proposition that's leaning on data and AI uh, related technology. So I think that there are a few points here. I think that the first transparency and explainability. Banks need to be transparent about how they use customer data to train their AI and machine learning modules. They should also be able to explain how those models make decisions and provide customers with clear and understandable explanations if asked. There's the the, the classic uh, phrase here: if you can't explain the model and you can't explain the rationale in terms that your your grandmother can understand, then it's not good enough. It has to be understandable and, and transparent. The second one would be fairness and bias. So again, banks need to ensure that their AI and machine learning models are free from bias and do not discriminate against certain groups of people. The easiest way to do this, I would say, is to, is to ensure that the company's values are encoded and measured Within its tech solutions always and test that that's the case. So you're, you're testing the outcomes of your tech solutions to ensure that they're adhering to the company values are not biased against a specific group of individuals and are correctly reflecting the intended outcomes. The third one I'd say is privacy and consent. Now I, I touched on this a, a moment ago, but we need to be clear about consent from customers before collecting and using their data. So for example, you know where did the data come from? Uh, when sourcing from third parties, can the vendor ensure and guarantee that the subjects of the data gave informed consent for use by third parties? Do any of the market data contain material non-public information? When data has been passed between providers, it's very easy for that to slip. So you have to ensure from source through to current usage, you have that chain of informed consent from the data owner who's the customer. And regulators do come rightly come down on that. And then the, the, there are some hygiene points on data governance and accountability. You have to have robust data governance and policies and procedures in place to make sure all of that happens. But the, the fundamental for me, really, as I said at the outset for this one is human in- oversight and intervention is key. So you know you, you can't entirely remove humans from the from the chain because if you do that the, the ethical and moral considerations are, are are removed.
0: And finally, what advice do you have for incumbent banks struggling to adapt to the fast-paced changes in the digital banking landscape?
1: Yeah, so thank you. It's another interesting one. I'd say firstly embrace the tra- embrace the transformation. Banking as it was is gone. It's a digital world now and banks need to play in it. The best banks and the the banks that have done this uh, most successfully really do model themselves, their approaches, their capabilities and their delivery mechanisms on leading tech firms. So such as Google or Amazon, that they're bringing their banking capabilities, but their delivery and how they go to market is much more aligned to the tech industry. Uh, than traditional banking so this includes building uh, and continually innovating so you know the whole waterfall the delivery mechanisms are gone we constantly iterate based on customer feedbacks and create that customer feedback loop constant testing always enhancing it's not about just the end product a lot of the digital transformation is is a mindset change so that constant iteration and customer feedback is absolutely crucial and from the embracing the transformation perspective, I'd say just start. Again, I look around the, the industry and there's many large banks who struggle with analysis paralysis, right? They take forever to just make the first step and then optimize on the way, right? So one of my favorite phrases, and I apologies, I can't recall who actually said this, but it was a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And that's really the crux of it, just embrace the journey and get going. I suppose is the first point. I said that the second, and probably the most important for me, is focus on customer needs and journeys. Put the customer at the center of what you're doing. Again, there's so many banks out there in the industry are so internally focused and they don't actually listen to what their customers are telling them. You know, in many walks of life, not just banking, you'll come across a customer journey where it's clunky, it's hard, And you think, who on earth designed this? Did they actually think about the customer experience end-to-end? Or you you can literally see the different silo departments of a company that put this together all saying their bit's fine, but when you stitch it all together as a customer journey, it's awful. So customer journeys, designing your organization and delivery mechanisms around customer journeys in in the way that the Amazon, Google, and Apple do um, is, is really the only way forward. And then finally, I'd say, I actually listened to your your previous podcast with the the CEO of Brompton Bicycle. So I'm going to plagiarize a little bit here because I absolutely loved what he said. He said, let's be an organization that says yes, rather than no. Be a foster, a positive innovation led company. Look at ways that you can do things rather than why we can't. If you have the whole company pulling towards a common set of objectives, that positive ideas focused culture with that mindset is so important. And you can see it. You can see it in the firms that succeed. They have that mindset and the ones that don't, don't. We definitely had it in China. You know, we got this company up and running in 12 months. It was market leading. It was a fantastic digital first company and it was a very can do positive culture. Same here in Singapore with what we're doing at the moment. But I think that's, that's absolutely key.
0: Fantastic, thanks, Simon. G- great to get a little plug-in for for one of our other podcast episodes as well uh, at the end. But um, thank you so much for for coming on. It's it's, re- it's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.